الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله قل اللهم مالك الملك تؤتي الملك من تشاء وتنزع الملك ممن تشاء وتعز من تشاء وتذل من تشاء بيدك الخير إنك على كل شيء قدير إنما أمره إذا أراد شيئا أن يقول له كن فيكون والله غالب على أمره ولكن أكثر الناس لا يعلمون وأشهد أن سيدنا وإمامنا وولي أمرنا وهادينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله ولقد نعلم أنك يضيق صدرك بما يقولون فسبح بحمد ربك وكن من الساجدين واعبد ربك حتى يأتيك اليقين من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فإن الله مع المتوكلين أما بعد Dear committed brothers and sisters on الصراط المستقيم Today is a day that is dedicated for Al-Quds, Jerusalem. It is the last Friday in the month of Ramadan. And it is very appropriate to dig into the meanings of Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj to understand why we are where we are today and what has to be done. We've covered in several khutbas the ayah the first ayah in surah Bani Israel Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Subhanal ladhi asra bi 'abdihi laylan 
من المسجد الحرام إلى المسجد الأقصى الذي باركنا حوله لنريه من آياتنا إنه هو السميع البصير To recap some of the important meanings in this ayah that speak in the coming ayat about the history and the future of Bani Israel. The future that we are seeing today in their colonization of the Holy Land. Their direct colonization of Al-Quds and their proxy colonization of Mecca and Al-Medina. Some of these points, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala began the surah with Subhanallahi. Subhan is what we are saying when we say Subhan. Forget about the very weak translations. Let's capture the essential meaning. When we say Subhan, what we are say, what we mean, this meaning has to be in the depths of our conscience. We are saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unlike or is above in his own self anything that he created. In himself, he's unlike any other of his creations. In his attributes, he is unlike any of his creations. In his work, in what he does, he is unlike any of his creations. He's not like us. When we say subhanallah, we are acknowledging in any way you think about it, he is not like us. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is performing a very unusual effort that breaks all the laws that we are familiar with, the first word that should come to our mind is Subhanallah. And the ayat in the Quran, فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ يُسَبِّحُونَ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّهِمْ etc. That is one important issue to dwell in ourselves. When we think about Palestine, when we think about Jerusalem, when we think about Mecca and Medina, when we think about all of these forces around, if we are in the presence of Allah, we know that our effort is subject to the mercy and the power of Allah. It's not subject to the laws of the militaries and the physical and material laws that we are familiar with. No. 
That's not the case. And then we should realize that Allah's, when Allah does something, He does not do it according to our laws, our physical laws or our social laws. When Allah decrees something, it is not subject to these laws. These are the laws that He placed in our world. And he made these laws and whoever made these laws can change them, annul them, circumvent them. He can do whatever he wants in accordance with his wisdom and his power. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the Prophet of Allah on a journey from Mecca to Al-Quds, and then, then from Al-Quds to the very end of what we can understand, where our non-understanding begins, he did that in accordance with his, so to speak, laws. So we can't come and say, that Muhammad, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his, performed a miracle. It was Allah who was performing all of this. And then we said, there's a type of adverse or invert re uh, relationship between power and time. The more power you have, the less time you need. The less power you have, the more time you need. A simple example, if I were to run a hundred yards and then I told a baby to run a hundred yards, the baby's power is not equivalent to my power so I'd be able to do that faster so the question is in some materialistic minds how come how did Allah's prophet or how did Muhammad because some of them don't even believe he's a prophet how did Muhammad go from Mecca to Al-Quds and then to heaven and then come back and all of this he did within one night the problem with these people is the response to that he didn't do it. It was Allah Subhanahu who did it. And if Allah's power is infinite, there's no end to his power. He doesn't need time. Time doesn't fa distance and time are not in Allah's world, so to speak. Remember when we speak about Allah, we are approximating the meanings. إِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ But if there are materialistic minds out there, there's nothing much that can be done with them. 
And we understand from this journey of Allah's Prophet, which has everything to do with the issue of Al-Quds and the sacred lands today. The Prophet went through three stages in that night. His human stage, and then the stage of the angels, and then the post-angelic stage. And he did this, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it possible for him to do that because it was Allah who was in charge of this whole affair. And here I want you to pay close attention. Here is where many of the speakers that we have they disconnect from this issue al-isra and al-mi'raj took place when there were real things happening with our beloved prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam there were real things happening he was persecuted he was excommunicated. He was psychologically harassed. He was economically boycotted. Him and his followers. In the midst of all of this, when it seemed like the whole world has given up on him, this Isra and Mi'raj took place. In other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to teach us a lesson that if the whole world gives up on you, then Allah does not give up on you as long as you are with him. The Prophet could have played politics. He did not play politics. He could have said, oh, my principle, I will right now put that aside for a while and try to have some popularity. He did not do that. He stood on principle and because he stood on principle, the whole world around him was not satisfactorily responsive in a world like that when things seem to have come to a dead end Allah says come to me and we had al-isra and al-mi'raj as a consequence of we can say we had the Isra and the Mi'raj as a consequence to all of these combined counter-prophetic human efforts. What was the, the high point in Al-Isra and the Mi'raj? What was the high achievement of Al-Isra and the Mi'raj? <coughs> An achievement 
that we have inherited and should inherit in a conscious, an active, a principled, and a self-fulfilling way. And that was as-salah. Before Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj, there was no Salah, there was no Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. That did not exist. Which presents any thinking Muslim with the question, was the Prophet in the first 11 or 12 years of Islam, he was not praying Fajr and Dhuhr and Asr and Maghrib and Isha? This is a question that thinking Muslims should present to calcified faqihs who present Islam in an inactive form. The Prophet when he prayed and he did pray in those years, he prayed according to what was left of the Ibrahimi tradition. There was no khams, five salawat in the day. There were a couple, a couple of raka'at at the Kaaba. And that's it. In the morning or in the evening or at certain times that you want to go and, and pray these two raka'as, you go and that's it. During the Isra and the Mi'raj, we, Allah gave us this salah. Remember, Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj came from the awkward circumstances that Allah's Prophet found himself in. And from the Isra and the Mi'raj, the breakthrough, Allah is showing his Prophet, if people have given up on you, I have not given up on you. In that occurrence, Allah mandated a salah it became fard. As-salat, like the Prophet says, As-salatu imadu deen As-salat is the pillar of this deen. Not the salat that we are familiar with. The salat that we are familiar with is not a collective effort. It remains up until this day an individual effort. By and large, there's exceptions. By and large, I'm speaking about 2 billion Muslims in the world. It's an individual effort. It has no collective or social value. So we pray, yes, we do. But do we make a salah a social value? Does a salah have a combined effort in it? Does a salah equalize everyone? And the honest answer to that is no. So we are going through motions. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us this salah as a method of retarding the circumstances that forced the Prophet to feel that in his dua when he left the Ta'if when he was desperate harassed 
Stones were thrown at him. The leaders of society instigated their riffraff to say harmful words to Allah's Prophet. At that time, the Prophet said his famous dua, Allahumma ashku ilayka dhafa quwwati wa qillata hilati wa hawani ala nas etc. until the end of the dua. Now let us consider the salah, iqamat as-salah. In the, in the Quran, 99% of the times when as-salah is mentioned, it is preceded by the word aqamu yuqimuna as-salah. So this is supposed to be the crux of the matter that has come to us from Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj. <coughs> As-Salah, in one way of looking at it, As-Salah combines the other personal responsibilities of a Muslim. During a salah, everyone says, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna muhammadan rasulullah. That is part of a salah. So a shahada is part of a salah. A zakah is part of a salah. Someone's going to ask, How is that? I'm not giving money when I'm praying. Back to basics. What is money? Money is the combination of effort and time. When you put effort and time together, you translate that into currency. It becomes a currency. When I am performing my salah, I am putting in an effort and I'm taking some time to do that. So in my salah, that's why some people say, I don't have time for salah. Why? They are busy making money. So if they go to salah, they are going to lose some money. Not knowing that a salah will enrich their wealth if they understood what a salah meant. So a person when he is praying, he is giving effort and time dedicating it to the enrichment of human life which is the linguistic meaning of a zakah not the shara'i 2.5% or 20% or 10% depending on the commodity or the currency or the plants agriculture etc no a salah is also a form of Sawm, fasting. Someone's going to ask, what do you mean? If I'm praying, I'm not eating. Of course, no one eats when they pray. But this is not what is meant by a salah being a form of fasting. Fasting is when we abstain from our desires. When we abstain from what our 
basically two appetites in us. The appetite to eat and the appetite for the other sex. These are the major two appetites in man. During my salah, I abstain from anything my appetite may want of me. I abstain from the world when we say Allahu Akbar. And remember when we say Allahu Akbar, this is a word that comes from the essence of the lesson of Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj. Allah is greater when we decorate our Eids with Allahu Akbar, which means Allah is greater than any of these forces that are threatening, intimidating, terrifying, killing, doing whatever they are doing. If we were in this relationship of a salah with Allah, this doesn't register. So I abstain from all of that. I'm in a world when I say Allahu Akbar, everything is, and my hand goes up like that, everything is behind me. Now I'm with Allah. And a salah is al hajj. Which means when we stand towards the Qibla in our Salah, that's a substitute for us being in Mecca at the Kaaba. I can't be there. I'm thousands of miles away. But orienting myself in that direction, it's as if I am there. That's the way we are supposed to feel. And in a Salah, it is mandatory for everyone in a salah to read Surah Al-Fatiha. In the recitation, the conscious, mindful recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha, in the middle of the surah, we say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدْ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ You alone, O Allah, we conform to. And you alone, O oh Allah, we ask for assistance. Now I want to ask you, when you say we, who's the we here? Who's the we? Have you ever thought about it? Or it's just a we without any definition. Is it we? Someone who belongs to a certain Islamic party, that's the we. And all the other Muslims in the world are not included. Is it we who belong to a certain nationality and all other nationalities are not included? Is it we who belong to a certain linguistic group of people and all other Muslims who speak another language are not included? Is it we who belong to a certain school of thought and all other Muslims are excluded? You think about what you say. The problem is, we encounter once again, the problem is, we don't think. 
We don't think, I, say, I don't say this as a matter of knocking anyone down. I don't say this as a matter of scoring points against anyone. Your humble brother here is trying to look at reality and define it or describe it as it is, even if it's hurtful to us. If we don't look at reality the way it is, we will remain to go in vicious circles from year to year, from Ramadan to Ramadan, from Yawm al-Quds to Yawm al-Quds, from Ashura to Ashura, from the Hajj to Al-Hajj, from Al-Umrah to Al-Umrah, vicious circles. And we stay where we are. No movement forward. When we say As-Sirat Al-Mustaqeem, we are on a Sirat. As-Sirat implies that we are moving. Who's moving? Look around, think, open your eyes, acknowledge who is moving. And then a salah is something that no one is, is exempt of. All the other arkan you could be exempt of. But a salah you're not. Some of us are poor. We don't have money. We can't pay zakah. We're exempt. Some of us are weak. We can't fast. Or we are ill. We can't fast. Or we are in our old age. We can't fast. Or we are traveling. We cannot fast. Or some of us are in their menstrual period. No fasting. When it comes to Al-Hajj, some of us can't go to Hajj. We don't have the means. We don't have the money. We don't have the health. We don't have what it takes to secure going there and coming back. So we are exempt. But As-Salah, no one is exempt from it. If you are sick, you pray as much as you can. If you can't pray, Standing up, you pray sitting down. If you can't pray sitting down, you pray lying down. If you can't move any part of your body except your finger, you pray with your finger. No one is exempt from a salah. That salah that goes all the way back to al-Isra and al-Mi'raj. That Isra and al-Mi'raj that go all the way back to... The whole world is against me. But who makes the connection between their salah and how important it is? If you can't make wudu, you are not exempt from salah. If you are at war, you are not exempt from salah. No one is exempt from salah. Because the salah is that gift that Allah's Prophet has gifted to us via his journey through Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj and his receiving this mandatory obligation upon us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we, the Muslims of the world, 
if we were honoring iqamat as-salah, we'd find equality is part of our social life. There's no discrimination. I'm going to that masjid, I'm not going to that masjid. You look around in today's world, people are really yuqimun as-salah, when a certain masjid belongs to a certain ethnic group of people, that's iqamat as-salah. No, that's individuals praying. Or that is a salah of asabiyyah. Or certain people, I don't want to go to that masjid because it's from another school of thought. Where did you get that from? That's in violation of what you say in your salah. Iyaka na'bud wa iyaka nasta'een. But do you know that your act is violating your words? This is where we are in the real world. If we were in the company of Allah's Prophet, we would understand the dimensions and the range of our salah, what it means in real life. All of this now is happening. This is our internal self. What I've just spoken about, more or less, dwells on our internal selves, internal thoughts, and internal being. And that's where it all begins. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is embedded, if we are for Him and with Him and by Him and to Him, Allah is embedded in what we do. وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَى When the Prophet and his followers went out to face the enemy, Allah says to them, it, is, it wasn't you who was doing the aiming and the shooting. It was Allah who was doing that. Allah is embedded in what we do provided we are strictly His. And we cannot be strictly His if we don't stand on principle. And look into the real world and identify those who stand on principle. You have a thinking mind. You can understand. You're above average. Look around and pierce through the awkward reality that we are in. So in this world, Allah is embedded in our acts. When the Prophet went on his Isra and Mi'raj to Allah, the Prophet was embedded in Allah's act. And there's a synergy between the two if we honor Allah's Prophet. And how many of us honor Allah's Prophet? We've been living in a generation in which petrodollars have poisoned the public mind. And the Prophet is almost an asterisk in our Islam. In many of our masajid, our congregations, our Islamic activities, 
The Prophet is almost a marginal figure in what we do. These meanings, if they don't come alive, and Imam al-Khumayni, may Allah rest his soul in eternal peace, he understood this issue very well, and that is why he designated the last Jumu'ah in the month of Ramadan. The month of Ramadan is a month of togetherness. Muslims, even out of traditions, they come together. It has much more meaning than what we do. Muslim Islam is post-traditionalism. Al-Jumu'ah is the day of the week, from the month of the year that brings us together, to the day of the week within that month of the year that brings us together. Brings us together for what? On a military base? Brings us together for what? In a parliament? It brings us together in the form of iqamat al-salah. A feature of Islamic life that is almost absent from the two billion Muslims in the world. And hopefully if we can open our minds and detect the very necessary meanings of this occasion, hopefully in the years to come, not a few million Muslims, not tens of millions of Muslims, not even hundreds of millions of Muslims, but over two billion Muslims in the world will identify and assimilate the meanings of Al-Isra and Al-Mi'raj. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ودعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters On this day, the last Jumu'ah in the month of Ramadan, <clears throat> a day in which Muslims the world over are stimulated as much as possible to be mindful of what it means when Zionists and imperialists have taken possession of Islamic territories, Islamic countries, and peoples. We have a 
regime in the Arabian Peninsula and other regimes on the peripheries of that regime in the Arabian Peninsula who have violated everything in the book of Allah and everything in the sunnah of his prophet. And what I mean by that is not the traditional ritualistic parts of the book of Allah and the sunnah of his prophet. What I mean here is the social, the economic, the ideological components of the Qur'an and the sunnah. Some Muslims, because of our relative lack of knowledge some Muslims say oh this Palestinian issue okay the Palestinians are not in their country they're not in their homes but there are many other Muslims around the world who are suffering from the same circumstances there are Muslims in Kashmir that's a second place that is mentioned who are suffering just like the Palestinians. There are Muslims in Myanmar, Burma, who are even suffering worse than the Palestinians. There are Muslims in different parts of Asia and Africa who share with the Palestinians the same misery and the same diaspora, more or less. So why do we concentrate on Palestine. Why is Palestine Al-Quds? Why is this a central issue? To answer that question, we should know that we are bound by our reference material to Allah and His Prophet. In the time of Allah's Prophet, because we, this is a real world we're living in. There were nations and superpowers in his day and time. And there are nations and superpowers in our day and time. When the prophet was tasked with his divine mission, the question is, were there other communities in the world who were displaced, homeless, and stateless? The general answer to that is yes. That's been the case throughout human history. Wherever there are wars, and there's always been wars, you can't take one decade in human history without a war. Not one ten years in human history that you don't find some war, some or more than one war, multiple wars going on all around the world. So the question, if we want to transfer this question to Allah's Prophet's time, say, why was Allah's Prophet so keen on liberating Mecca? Does that mean when the Prophet of Allah is very serious about liberating Mecca. Does that mean he's disregarding all the other people in the world who are living without a homeland? 
without a state that they can call their own? No, he wasn't. That was the first step in the right direction. And the reason for the, one of the reasons for the Prophet concentrating on the liberation of Mecca was because he himself was a refugee in today's language. He was a refugee. The Meccan mushriks had no right to expel him from Mecca or expel his followers from Mecca. Add to that, Mecca has a Masjid al-Haram in it. And we spoke about what Masjid and Haram and all of this means in previous khutbas. Al-Quds has al-Masjid al-Aqsa in it. It's the first Qibla of the Muslims that has been dispossessed. Yahud, the Zionists of today, they've taken control and possession of the, our first Qibla and our third Haram. And in the process, they created a humanitarian tragedy in which millions of Muslims now are stateless and homeless. If we are to understand our Prophet, we would, under, we would understand that it is our responsibility to have these, these muhajireen of today that do not have ansar. The Prophet had his ansar in Al-Madina. He went there and there was a supportive base for him. Where, do the, where can the Palestinian people in today's world, where can they go to find a supportive base for them? Where do they have their ansar? This is a flaw in our Islamic relationships, in our Islamic solidarity, and in our Islamic brotherhood. The Arabian regimes, they say, we don't want to have the Palestinians become citizens in our countries because the Palestinian issue will die. The only way the Palestinian issue can stay alive is if the Palestinians remain refugees. That is their logic and that is their answer. That logic and that answer contradicts the sunnah of Allah's Prophet. And I don't mean the ritualistic sunnah. I mean the social, political, ideological, and military sunnah of the Prophet. If the issue of liberating Mecca, just like today, we need to liberate Palestine. 1400 years ago, we need to liberate Mecca. If what these Arabian regimes are saying today is correct, then the Prophet should have remained a refugee. He shouldn't have, he shouldn't have become, and those who were with him, they should not have become equal citizens of the city-state of Al-Madinah. But we see the Prophet's decisions, his sunnah is one thing, 
And the decisions by today's rulers and decision makers is another thing. These Saudi Arabian princes and royalty and all of this who sold their souls to a shaitan, they're going steps and steps further in their violation of Allah subhanahu and his prophet. This MBS who is a Zionist Muslim. We have Zionist Jews and we have Zionist Christians and we have Zionist Muslims. This one, he's a Zionist Muslim and his Zionism overrides his Islam. Meaning the word Muslim there is only for cosmetic purposes. In fact, in reality, he's a Zionist. Now he's taken over more power in the past few days. He's been assigned to certain committees. One of them is the administration of the two masjids in Mecca and the Medina. In other words, he has become Ham, even though his father is still alive and still has officially that title, Hami al-Haramayn al-Sharifayn, the custodian of the two noble sanctuaries in Mecca and Medina. Now this Zionist to his bones is gaining that title before he sits on the throne. He considers the Palestinian issue to be a, a, an issue of negotiations. He wants to stay fixed in his power position in Arabia and he's willing to sell the Palestinians down the drain. There have been demonstrations that have been going on in Jordan. Jordan is a country, the majority of its, the overwhelming majority of its population is Palestinian or of Palestinian origin. And it seems like these, basically, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the rulers in the United Arab Emirates, they have their own plans. These are advanced plans of the Zionist imperialist scheme. So it seems like the rulers in Jordan don't agree 100% with the Saudi and Emirati rulers. So they're turning the economic screws on them and therefore people went out into the streets in the past couple of weeks with demonstrations and protests and marches and until finally the king relieved the prime minister of his duties and brought in another one and then the World Bank also approached the Jordanians now not with the demands that they had before but with lesser demands as all of this is going on the people in Palestine in the West Bank in Gaza Today, a couple of individuals up until a few hours ago were killed once again by the Israeli military. Almost 500 of them wounded. And this goes on and on. And because there is no iqamat as-salah, 
This is what we have. In another part of the world, Austria wants to expel 60 imams and close down seven masajid. It is saying it is doing so because it is countering Islamic extremism. Most of these are Turkish masajid, if not all of them, and Turkish imams. And Turkey interpret this, interpreted this as a form of racism and a form of discrimination against Muslims in that country. There's some good in those who are not Muslims. At least they can identify where is right and where is wrong. The soccer team from Argentina refused to play a match with the Israeli soccer team. That's one score for Argentina and zero for Israel. A couple of nights ago, the White House invited Muslims to an iftar. They didn't, for the first last year, remember, there was no iftar in the White House. From the Clinton time, through the Bush time, through the Obama time, every Ramadan, there's an iftar in the White House. Except for last year. There was no iftar in the White House. Then this year, they rethought themselves, these racists, they rethought themselves, said, we have to invite some Muslims for iftar. Didn't go well last year. So they invited some Muslims, but up until now, they didn't disclose to us the names of those who attended. Unlike previous years. We want to know who went to the iftar in the White House. They won't tell us. This is another one of these shenanigans by which they think that they can deceive the Muslims. Deception is out, knowledge is in. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah. Wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ijtinaba. Wala taj'alhu multabisan alayna. Waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama. اللهم إليك أشكو ضعف قوتي وقلة حيلتي وهواني على الناس يا أرحم الراحمين أنت ربي وأنت رب المستضعفين فإلى من تكلني إلى غريب يتجهمني أم إلى عدو ملكته أمري إن لم يكن بك علي غضب فلا أبالي ولكن عافيتك هي أوسع لي أعوذ بنور وجهك الذي أشرقت له الظلمات وصلح عليه أمر الدنيا والآخرة من أن تنزل بي غضبك أو تحل علي صخطك لك العتبى حتى ترضى ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بك اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما صليت وباركت على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر 
ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون وأقم الصلاة وأرحنا بها